Welcome back to Ghosts of Arlington, and thank you for joining me for episode 109, Counting Coup Part 3, High Bird. Just a reminder, as I announced last week, due to work obligations and travel for Christmas, this is possibly my last episode of 2023. I will attempt to publish one episode in the month of December, but no promises. Last week, we continued the story of Joseph Medicine Crow as he grew up on the Absaluka Reservation in Montana. When he started attending school, he was straddling two worlds, but it wasn't until he chose to do his secondary schooling at a boarding school in Oklahoma that he became really interested in his native culture. Being surrounded by students from dozens of other tribes asking questions about the crow ignited in him a desire to teach others about that culture, and it never left him. He graduated high school, became only the second crow to get a bachelor's degree, and then went on to be the first to earn a master's degree. He began a Ph.D. program and even completed all necessary coursework for his doctorate, but World War II kicked off before he could write his dissertation. In the pre-reservation days, a young crow man aspiring to be a warrior would go into the Wolf Teeth Mountains seeking Baxby, or spiritual power. It was believed that this spiritual power would make him a better warrior, make him more successful in performing war deeds, and help him eventually to become a chief with great wealth, high prestige, and a large following. The crow called this spiritual experience going without water. Over three or four days of fasting, the young man hoped to receive a visit from animal spirits who were emissaries of the first maker or great spirit. Sometimes the vision seeker would cut off a finger, adding the pain of a blood sacrifice to his pangs of hunger and thirst. The ordeal was voluntary and not all young men believed they needed a personal vision experience to be a successful warrior. Some preferred to go directly to a veteran warrior or spiritual leader and get his blessing. Having been raised with hybrid Baptist-slash-traditional crow beliefs, Medicine Crow never felt the need to attempt a traditional vision quest and preferred to communicate with the Great Maker from the inside of a church. But he still believed in traditional sources of spiritual power. After he arrived in Germany, he always carried a special feather with him that had belonged to a Shoshone Sundance chief from Fort Washaki. 
The feather had originally been given to his uncle Tom Yellowtail. It was a little fluffy snow-white eagle feather that Medicine Crow put inside his helmet before going into battle. In addition to carrying the feather, he also recited certain prayers and would paint himself with a red lightning streak and red ring. Unlike the traditional warriors, he didn't paint his face, but put the paint on his arms under his shirt. If he didn't have paint, he would use a red pencil, which worked as well as paint. When I was under fire, he later said, I felt much better because of my special spiritual medicine. To this day, I credit my medicine for saving my life during several close encounters with the Germans. One of these encounters occurred when Medicine Crow's company came under artillery and mortar fire while marching on the side of a narrow valley. The Germans were directly across from the Americans when they opened up. Suddenly, an artillery shell exploded right in front of Medicine Crow and everything went black. The blast killed or wounded the half a dozen soldiers nearest to him and knocked him right over the side of the cliff they were walking on. He heard guys moaning all around him, but miraculously he was unharmed, save for a few bruises. He did become sick to his stomach when he realized his helmet and its eagle feather was no longer on his head. He found it near the top of the hill where he had been standing when the blast hit, with the feather still tucked into the liner. When I put my helmet back on, I came to my senses. Everything was all right, but I admit I had panicked there for a while. I have always attributed that particular sequence of good luck to my special Indian medicine. While in Germany, Medicine Crow focused on being a good soldier, not on counting coup against the enemy. Those days were long gone, or so he thought. After he returned from Europe and the Crow elders asked him about his service, he was surprised to learn that he had completed all four tasks required to become a chief. He accomplished his first coup during the Allies' initial push into Germany. He was a private in Company K, 411th Infantry Regiment, 103rd Infantry Division out of Texas, and was the only Native American in his company. It was January 1944, and the ground was covered with snow. The boundary that separated France and Germany, where the 103rd was, was a little creek running through a deep canyon. Shortly after crossing the creek, his company ran into foxholes filled with Germans. After an hour of fighting, the sun began to set, and the Americans advanced in the falling darkness as the Germans withdrew up the steep hill behind them. The next morning, the Americans saw that the Germans had fallen back to concrete pillboxes and were now very well protected. As luck would have it, Medicine Crow was standing next to his company commander when the captain got a call from higher ordering him to blow up the pillboxes. The order said to send someone back up the French side of the hill to grab the boxes of dynamite that had been left behind. As Medicine Crow recalled, 
The CO said, Well, Chief, he always called me Chief. I guess if anybody can get through, you can. Get six men and go up there. Boy, it was a high hill loaded with landmines. Before I could ask for volunteers, my closest buddy stepped up and said, Let's go, Chief. In all, six guys, my closest friends, went with me. I was glad only six came forward because that made seven of us, and seven is one of the numbers Indians consider lucky. The U.S. troops covered the French hill with smoke so the detail could advance unseen, but this let the Germans in the pillboxes know that something was going on, and they opened up on the hill. It was slow going, but everyone made it up the steep, icy hill without tripping a landmine or getting hit by enemy fire. At the top of the hill was a mess tent where they were able to warm up and rest a bit before heading back out. Each man was given a 50-pound or 22.5-kilogram box of dynamite that was too difficult to carry down the hill, so after setting his box down to think, Medicine Crow decided to slowly slide down the hill, sitting on the box. Under the cover of more smoke, the detail managed to slowly sled down the hill on boxes of dynamite, dodging landmines and enemy fire as they went. Medicine Crow said it was a terrifying experience, but all seven men made it back without a scratch on them. When the elders heard that story, they said it was the same as leading a war party in the old days. He had been given a command job, and everyone who went out with him made it back safely and victorious. They hadn't come back with horses or scalps, but they had returned with items deemed essential to the welfare of their fellow troops. That was Medicine Crow's first war deed. His next deed was counting coup on a German soldier. Following the initial push into Germany, the 103rd Infantry Division was sent back to France for a little rest and relaxation, but they were back in Germany by March. Company K was ordered to enter a small German town from the rear while other units attacked head-on. Wading quietly through still icy water chest-deep, Company K entered the town undetected while their comrades began attacking the other side of town. With five or six other soldiers, Medicine Crow was told to secure a particular back alley. Returning to his own account of the events, he said, Although there was a lot of gunfire on the main street, where I was going was kind of quiet. With my men right behind me, I began running down the alley. I was carrying an M1 rifle. Along the side of the alley was a stone wall about 10 feet, or 3 meters, high. As I was running, I could see a gate, so I headed for it. I wanted to see what was happening on the main street. A German soldier had the same idea, it turned out. He was running toward the gate too, but from the other side of the wall. With all the shooting going on, I could not hear him, and he could not hear me either. We met at the gate. My reactions were a bit quicker than his. I hit him under the chin with the butt of my rifle and knocked him down, sending his rifle flying. 
He tried to reach for his rifle, but I kicked it out of the way. I dropped my gun and jumped on top of him and put my hands around his throat. Meanwhile, the rest of my guys had caught up. They wanted to shoot the German, but I still had my hands on his throat. He was scared. He began hollering, Hitler kaputt, Hitler kaputt, Hitler nicht gut, which meant Hitler dead, Hitler dead, Hitler no good. He was crying. Tears were running down his face. I felt sorry for him, so I let him live and gave him a cigarette. Capturing that German counted for two war deeds. He was the first German Medicine Crow had run into that day. By knocking him down and touching him, he had counted coup on the man. He also took his weapon away, which was another coup. Three down, one to go. Even though Medicine Crow hadn't been thinking of counting coup, he admits that he was always on the lookout for a chance to capture an enemy's horse. He felt that was the best way for him to prove that he was worthy of his warrior ancestors. He got his chance just before the war in Europe ended. Company K was following a group of about 50 SS officers. They had abandoned their men who were surrendering by the thousands. Even though they were moving at night, the SS were riding on an asphalt road and the U.S. soldiers could easily follow the clop-clop of horses' hooves on that road. Around midnight, the SS left the highway and bedded down for the night at a farm about three miles down a dirt road. The Americans used what little moonlight there was to keep following them. As Medicine Crow's commander sat down with the platoon leaders to discuss how best to handle the situation, all he could think about was those horses in the corral. The decision was made to attack the farm at daybreak. The next morning, after the CO briefed everyone on the plan, Medicine Crow made his way over to the captain and said, Sir, maybe I should get those horses out of the corral before you attack, because some of those SS guys might be able to escape on them. It would only take me about five minutes. After considering this for a moment, the CO said, Okay, Chief, you're on. That was all I needed. I took one of my buddies, and we began sneaking down to the corral and the barn. We had to be careful in case a German was in the barn on guard duty, watching. When we got there, nothing was moving. The horses were tired, just standing around. I crawled through the corral fence and came up to one of them. I told him, whoa, whoa, in English. He snorted a little, but quickly settled down. I had a rope with me that I used to tie my blanket. I took that rope and tied his lower jaw in a double half-hitch, just like the old-time crow warriors used to do it, and then I tried to get on. But it was a tall horse, and my boots were so muddy and caked up, I had a hard time mounting. Finally, I led the horse to the watering trough and used that to get on its back. Medicine Crow then rode to the rear of the corral, and when he gave the signal, his buddy opened the gate and got out of the way. Medicine Crow let out a whistle and a crow war cry, 
and the nearly 50 horses took off. The sun was just starting to come up at this point, and as the rest of the company opened up on the farmhouse, Medicine Crow got a good look at his mount as he used it to herd the nearly 50 other horses to a nearby clump of woods. I was riding a sorrel with a blaze, a real nice horse. When we reached the woods and the horses started to mill around, I did something spontaneous. I sang a crow praise song and rode around the horses. They just looked at me. The Germans had surrendered quickly and the firing was over, so I left the horses in the woods, except the one I was riding, and headed back to the farmhouse. After we had finished mopping things up and sending the prisoners to the rear, the company commander said, Let's go, and we took off. There was a gravel railroad bed nearby which made the walking a little better. As the guys took off down the railroad track, I was still on my horse. It is better to ride than to walk. I felt good. I was a crow warrior. My grandfathers would have been proud of me, I thought. But all too soon, the reality of the war came back. After letting me ride the horse for a mile or so, the CO yelled over to me, Chief, you better get off. You make too good a target. Medicine Crow was discharged from the Army on January 10, 1946. He called his parents from Wisconsin and let them know when he would arrive back in Lodgegrass. As Crow soldiers returned from World War II, their families staged elaborate welcomes at the train station and then would host a grand reception a week or two later. His train had a 30-minute layover in Cody, Wyoming, and Medicine Crow couldn't resist the call of a fantastic burger joint he knew of in Cody. Unfortunately, his trip to Louis' diner caused him to miss his train and the last leg of his journey home. A huge crowd had gathered at the Lodge Grass train depot. Medicine Crow's mother was ready with a stack of new Pendleton blankets to spread from the train to a group of singers some 60 feet, nearly 20 meters away, but this obviously never happened. Instead, a woman stepped off the train and informed Amy Yellowtail that her son was last seen at Louie's sitting behind a pile of hamburgers. Medicine Crow did eventually make it home, and his reception was held at a large dance hall a few days later. As he approached the hall, a long line of people were there to shake his hand or hug him. A few admiring girls kissed him. Once he entered the hall, drummers sang the war honor song of his grandfather, Chief Medicine Crow. He danced around the hall with his relatives dancing behind him. It was at this time that the elders asked him to recount his war stories. The young veteran was just as surprised as anyone when he realized he had met all the requirements to be a chief. A big feast followed, and at the end of the night, Medicine Crow received a new name. The Crow Nation is the only Plains Indian tribe with a clan system, 
and Medicine Crow belonged to the Whistling Water Clan. A few of his clansmen got together, talked things over, and said, Let's give Winterman a new name. Let's name him after one of our illustrious Whistling Water Men. They dubbed him Highbird. The original Highbird had died long before. Along with the name came Highbird's honor song, though the lyrics were changed a little. Highbird, you are a great soldier. Highbird, you fought the mighty Germans. Highbird, you counted coup on them. Highbird, you are a great soldier. As is Crow tradition, that same evening, a father bought the rights to the name Winterman and gave it to his young son to honor this new clan and tribe hero. Despite his quip that he entered the army as a private and left a private, he was promoted to technician fifth grade, a rank equivalent to corporal, which recognized enlisted soldiers with special technical skills but who were not trained combat leaders, and the precursor to today's rank of specialist. So his private in, private out comment was not too far off the mark. It's also likely that he didn't receive this promotion until after Germany surrendered. In 1948, Medicine Crow was appointed tribal historian and anthropologist and was officially designated a chief. He started working for the Bureau of Indian Affairs in 1951 and spent several years as a board member on the Crow Central Education Commission. In 1999, he was invited to the United Nations to address that body on Native and Indigenous culture and rights. He was also a frequent guest speaker over the years at Little Bighorn College and the Little Bighorn Battlefield Museum. He was featured in several documentaries about the battle because of his family's associated oral history. Additionally, he wrote the script that has been used at the reenactment of the Battle of Little Bighorn, held every summer since 1965. In 1976, he helped found Little Bighorn College and the Buffalo Bill Historical Center in Cody, Wyoming. As its historian, Medicine Crow was the keeper of memories for the Crow Nation. He preserved the stories and photographs of his people in an archive at his house and in his garage. He was also a prolific author. Aside from his memoir, Counting Coup, which was chosen in 2007 as a notable tradebook for young people by the National Council for Social Studies, some of his other books and papers include Crow Migration Story, Medicine Crow, The Handbook of the Crow Indians' Laws and Treaties, Crow Indian Buffalo Jump Techniques, From the Heart of Crow Country, and the children's book Brave Wolf and the Thunderbird. In 1999, Medicine Crow received an honorary doctorate from Rocky Mountain College, and another in 2003 from his alma mater, the University of Southern California, where, again, 
he had accomplished all the coursework needed for a Ph.D. before World War II began. In 2010, Bacone College, no longer just a junior college, also honored him with a doctorate. He had served as an ambassador and regular commencement speaker for Bacone for 50 years. In 2008, he belatedly received the Bronze Star from the U.S. Army and the French Legion of Honor Chevalier Medal for his service in World War II. The following month, a bill was introduced to award him the Congressional Gold Medal, but it did not receive the necessary two-thirds backing by the Senate to move forward. In 2009, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom the highest civilian honor award in the United States, from President Barack Obama. Army Technician 5th Grade, Dr. High Bird Joseph Medicine Crow, continued to write and lecture at universities and public institutions until his death on April 3, 2016, at the age of 102. He was interred at the Absaloka Veteran Cemetery on the Crow Reservation in Bighorn County, Montana. Though he has passed to the other side of camp, Chief Medicine Crow's legacy not only remains, but continues to grow. In 2022, the University of Southern California renamed one of its more renowned buildings, the Dr. Joseph Medicine Crow Center for International and Public Affairs. If you need more Ghosts of Arlington content in your life, there are pictures related to every episode on the website, www.ghostsofarlingtonpodcast.com. You can help others learn about the podcast by leaving a five-star rating and review at Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. If you really want to make my day, refer the show to a friend. And remember, fear not death, for the sooner we die, the longer we shall be immortal.